So delighted you're here today. We welcome you to Great Hills Baptist Church. My name is Danny Forsheed, pastor here for almost nine years and love our city and love what God is doing in the great city of Austin, Texas. Voted again the number one place to live in all the United States of America. How about that for a great city in which to live? So, so blessed and blessed to see all that God is doing in our church. I don't know how many people were here yesterday, but I, I tell you, you lose count after a few thousand kids running around your property and doing that big Easter egg hunt. Thank you so much for everybody who came, and thank you especially to uh, our hundred volunteers that it took to pull it off yesterday, and we had a fantastic time. It was a real a gift to our community, and so many people, uh, literally from all over the world, who have moved to Austin, thanked us and appreciated the gift uh, of our church to, to bless the community. And what a, what a fun time that was. And then the Good Friday service at the Frank Irwin Center. Somebody asked me today, are you tired? I said, absolutely. It's a good tired. This is the Super Bowl, by the way, for pastors. You know what I'm saying? The Super Bowl Sunday, Easter Resurrection Sunday. So I may be a little fatigued in body, but my spirit is just so uh, overwhelming with, with joy. We, we're just going to invite you to join with us in our study here at Great Hills Baptist Church. For the last few weeks, we've been studying the book of Acts. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to pick right up in our study. We're in Acts chapter 3 today. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. And just a little context, what has happened is Jesus Christ has died, was placed in a tomb. He arose from the dead. He ascended back to the Father. And the Holy Spirit of God comes in Acts chapter 2, and now things are radically different. The church of Jesus Christ is exploding in growth. Thousands of people in Jerusalem are coming to faith and being baptized, and this just burgeoning, this blossoming, I mean, it's exponential growth of the church, and it's going to spread all over the world, and eventually it's going to find its way over here to us, but it all has its inception, its Genesis moment right here in the book of Acts. And by the way, none of these things happen. None of these things happen were it not for Jesus Christ living a life, dying on a cross, rising from the dead. And because He did those things, He has empowered us to have a radical life. I'm talking about a great life, an abundant life that begins not, you know, when we die into heaven, but that abundant life begins the very moment we receive Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. So we're just inviting you in with us in Acts chapter 3. I'll read verses 1 through 10. And it's a story. So I'm just preparing you. This is a story that deals a lot with the supernatural. If you have a problem with the supernatural, you're going to have a real problem with the whole Bible because the Bible begins in the beginning God. God created the heavens and the earth. And the God who created the heavens and the earth, and who established all the laws of the universe, He has the ability and the right to suspend those laws when He deems necessary, and He's going to do that today. There's a man with congenital lameness. He, is, he has been born lame. He's been lame all of his life, and he thinks he's going to be lame to the day that he dies, but a supernatural miracle occurs. He said, but I'm an empiricist, I'm a scientist. I'm a chemist, I'm a physicist, and I, I just have a hard time with all this talk of the supernatural. And that's where I got to come alongside of you and just say, we're, we're going to help you with that. We want to help you have faith. I was talking to a friend of mine at the gym a couple of weeks ago, and he says, I believe in the unknown, the supernatural, because how in the world could a bumblebee fly? And I thought, well, that's, that's true. And I said, well, think about the tongue of a woodpecker. <laughs> 
Leonardo da Vinci, I'm reading his biography right now, he, he made a note in his, in his copious notes. He said, study the tongue of the woodpecker. That fascinated him because he was all into autopsy and dissection of, of animals and bodies and stuff. Bodies were dead, by the way. But, you know, he liked to, to dissect and look at them. And so the tongue of a woodpecker is three times the length of its, bib, of, a, of its beak. The tongue of the woodpecker, he wraps it around his brain so that when he goes to peck on the wood, he doesn't get a concussion. Now you tell me, how in the world did that happen? I mean, evolution must be really creative and amazing for that to happen. I mean, God, he, and by the way, if we were to hit our head with the same force that a woodpecker hits his head up against a tree, it would kill us. I mean, like in a, mo in a moment. So I went to church on Easter and the pastor talked about the, the tongue of a woodpecker. Amen. So we, we, that was free for you. We're glad that you're here. All right. So what, what I'm saying is the supernatural. We see it, don't we? We see it in a sunrise. We see it in a baby's eyes. We see it in the, in the friendship of a friend. We see it in multiple ways if we just lift up our eyes and look. So now Peter and John, the pillars of the early church, two of the apostles, they went up together to the temple, the temple in Jerusalem. At the hour of prayer, this would be the ninth hour, and that would be 3 p.m. Certain men, lame from his mother's womb, that's congenital lameness. He's been lame all of his life. All he's known is lameness. And he was carried, and they laid him daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. So he's going to the temple to beg. He's probably homeless, helpless. But when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. He begged them for money. And fixing his eyes on him, John and Peter looked, said, look at us. And so he gave them his attention. This, this lame, crippled man gave his attention to Peter and John. Why? Because he's expecting that he's going to receive something from them. And then Peter said, and this really is the pinnacle of this whole pericope, this passage of Scripture, this paragraph of Scripture, Acts 3, 1 through 10. When you look at verse 6, you really get the heart of what is going on in the early church. Peter said these words, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of this risen Savior, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I say to you, whew, rise up and walk. And he reached down and he took the man by the right hand and lifted him up. Now, the person who wrote this was a medical doctor. His name was Luke. Luke was an associate of the Apostle Paul. When Luke writes about this medical miracle or a miracle, we have to give credence and listen to him because he knows, he knows what is happening. He said, I'm telling you immediately, this, his feet and his ankle bones received strength. So this man who had congenital lameness, he leapt and he stood and he walked and he entered into the temple with them. Now the antecedent for them would be Peter and John. He will not let those men get out of his sight. I mean, he has been changed. He is, his life has been restored. He, and all these are present participles. He walks, he leaps, and he praises God. And all the people, all the people saw him walking and praising God. And then they knew 
they knew exactly, precisely who it was. It was the same guy who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were all filled with wonder and ecstasis. And the Greek word ecstasis translated amazement. Another good translation would be ecstasy or ecstatic. It literally means to have your mind blown. I mean, you're just like, what has happened here? They were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to this man. On the way to church today, Peter and John might say, we met a crippled man at the gate. Jesus Christ supernaturally healed him, and this man would not be silent, and all the people were amazed. That is my summation of the story, and each one of those phrases that I just mentioned to you will serve as the outline for my message today. For example, on the way to church today, uh, Peter and John might say, on the way to church, you say, where were they going to church? They were going to the temple. You read in verse 1, Peter and John went up together to the temple. Now, this is the restored temple of Zerubbabel in the 4th, the 5th, the 4th century. It's Solomon's temple that was destroyed. Zerubbabel, they restored it. Then you fast forward into the 1st century, and Herod began a massive restoration process of restoring this, this temple. And we took a picture, and I'll put the picture on the screen there for you. This would be three very important ladies in my life. It would be my wife in the middle, my daughter on the left, and then my daughter-in-law, Danielle. And so they are standing on the southern steps of the refurbished temple of, of Herod. Herod began this in AD 19, and he was almost finished in AD 70, but the Romans came in and destroyed it. Anyhow, this is the temple. And still today, you can go to Jerusalem, and we were there just a few months ago, and you can see some of that temple that has been restored. And so Peter and John are walking to the temple, and they're going to church to pray. There were three set times of prayer for the Jews. Now, this is the meeting place of worship for the Jews, and the Christians are just joining right in with them. The three times are, number one, 9 a.m., number two, noon, and number three, at 3 p.m., Now, it was this hour, this 3 p.m. hour, that they were going to the temple to pray. Now, watch this. The temple would be packed. They would be having their sacrifices, and the people would be coming to pray and to worship. And Peter and John are walking toward the temple. And number two, they meet a man. They met a crippled man who greeted them at the gate. He had never walked. He never knew what it was like to stand to his feet. And he, this man, he reminds me of Mark chapter 2 where, remember the man was taken up on the roof by his four friends. They cut a hole in the roof and they let the man down in the presence of Jesus and he was healed spiritually, he was healed physically. That reminds me of this story. And so this temple in AD 30, let let, let me tell you what's happening here in this huge meeting place. Because Dr. Luke tells us something very important. He he gives us the very geographical location of where this miracle will take place. You see, the Bible is rooted in history. It has much antiquity and veracity. It it literally happened. You see, yeah, but it it has a lot of stories and it has a lot of, you know, has a lot of supernatural. I I was trying to help you with that a moment ago, right? You're going to have to come to peace 
with the supernatural because it is, I mean, it saturates the Bible. And so here we go. He comes to this gate called Beautiful. Now, in the temple, there were major sections of the temple. First of all, there was what was called the court of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles could come and they could participate only to a, to a point. And then the next arena that you would enter into was called the court of the Israeli women or the court of the women. Between the Gentiles, court of Gentiles and the court of the Jewish women was a gate called Beautiful. This gate took 20 men. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said it took 20 men to open and close the gate. It was made of Corinthian bronze. It was more costly than any other gate made of, made of gold or silver, this gate. And can you imagine what it looked like in your mind's eye, this beautiful, ornate gate? And beyond that gate would be called the, the court of the Jewish males. And they, the Jewish male and only the Jewish male would be able to enter into this sphere or arena. Beyond that, it would be called the holy place, where the priests, they would make sacrifices there at the altar. And then when you take one more step into the next arena, would be called the holy of holies, and only the high priest was able to enter into that. And only on the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, would he enter into. So you have these segments, it's divided up. And when you come out of the court of the Gentiles, and before you go into the court of the Jewish women, there's this gate called Beautiful, and that's where that man was. He loved that place. He knew that people on their way to church, surely they would be a little nice, you know, maybe they would be generous and they would be benevolent and give him some, some money so that he could subsist, so he could live. And so, this is the context of what is happening. There were three places, by the way, that people who were indigent, poor, that they could literally go and beg in Israel, and it was accepted. And by the way, the dynamic equivalent of that is Austin, Texas. We have people everywhere. You can hardly go up on an intersection without somebody with a sign. I don't know if he had a sign, but he had, he had, he had this emaciated look about him like, I can't walk with somebody. Please, please help me. When I see the homeless people in Austin, man, I, I try to give them food or I, I try to, you know, give them water or, or try to speak to them, try to in, encourage them. And so Peter and John are about to encourage him. He is in one of three, if you will, approved locations. One place, you could literally go to the, to the homes of the rich, like Luke 16, where you have Lazarus, who's begging for alms at the gate of the rich man. Number two, blind Bartimaeus. He would beg at the highways. There were places in the highways, the Roman highways that ran through Jerusalem, and it, there were little places stationed along the highway that you could stand there like blind Bartimaeus and play, please help me, please help me. The third place was this place. You could literally go to the temple and you could find a spot, and this guy found, he found a grand spot. And there he was, just positioned, rightly positioned to ask for help. And here comes Peter and John in verse 3. They're about to enter into the court of the Jewish women, and then they're going to make their way on into the court of the, the Jewish male. But before they do, there's a man there, and he looks at him and says, please help me. You know, please help me. I need money. I need, I need help. A few years ago, there was a man in Berlin, Maryland. Uh, he was homeless. His name, his name was Paul. 
and he was begging on the streets. And a man by the name of Andy, who was a member of this church, it's called Sunrise Church in Berlin, Maryland. And Andy had mercy on the homeless man, Paul. And the reason he did is because Andy used to be homeless. And so his church, they, they had ministries that reached out to the homeless. So it was, nothing, it was not uncommon for this man named Andy to go up to a homeless person and say, can I help you? Can I buy you a meal? Do you need a place to stay for the night? And that's what happened with this man. And so he approached this man, Paul, and he goes, how can I help you? He says, well, I'm hungry. So he took him, got him something to eat. He said, do you have a place to stay? And he said, no. He said, I want you to come to my home. And he did. Sunday morning came around and Andy, the church member that goes to Sunrise Church, he looked at the homeless man, Paul, and he said, now on Sundays, we go to church around here, and so I'm inviting you to go to church. And oh, man, man, there was some pushback. Paul's like, whoa, wait a minute. He, he had this do-rag, this bandana with skulls, crosses on it. He goes, listen, I made a deal with God years ago, and here's the deal. I would never go to your church, God, and I don't want you in my house. And so Andy just kind of smiled. He said, well, you see, that's a one-sided deal. God would never agree to such a deal. Hold that thought for just a minute, because we're going to come back and visit Paul and Andy and Sunrise Church. Let's go back to verse 4. The crippled man in Acts 3, Peter and John fixed their eyes on the man, and Peter commanded him, look at me. Look at us. This word fixing is the same word used in Acts 1.10 in the Greek New Testament, which, I mean, it means to fasten. When the disciples were fixing their eyes on Christ as he, as he ascended back to heaven. So you have this gaze, man. This is an intense moment where Peter and John and this broken man, this hurting man. Verse 5, the beggar gave the apostles his attention. And in that moment, when they made eye contact, I know what this beggar was thinking. He was thinking, yes. Because how many times, we don't even look at people like this, right? Oh yeah, yeah, I know what they need. I mean, no, we really don't know. We really don't know their story. I tell you, a lot of these guys in Austin, you, you take a moment and just listen, they have some pretty remarkable stories. And so Peter and John looked at him and he looked back at them, and I can just see this radiance come upon his face going, woohoo, man, I'm about to get some help. And I like what one writer says, and he puts it this way, expecting only some money to help momentarily ease his desperate situation, the beggar instead received something far more than he would have ever dreamed possible. On the way to church today, Peter and John might say, we met a man, a beggar, at the gate called Beautiful. And Jesus Christ touched him and miraculously healed him. And by the way, dead messiahs and religious people, they, they can't do this. Only a resurrected king has the power and the authority to heal someone. And um, so this is point number three, Jesus miraculously healed him. I mentioned in the reading of God's Word a moment ago that verse 6 really is the apex, the high water mark, the pinnacle point of this whole paragraph. So let me look at it again with you. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I, I gladly give it to you in the name, ooh, come on, in the name 
of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I say unto you, arise and walk. During the Middle Ages, there was a theologian by the name of Thomas Aquinas. People can be so mean. Uh, he was a little obese, a little heavy, and people called him the dumb ox. That was the name they, they gave. Um, that's pretty rough, isn't it? I mean, the dumb ox is what they called him. But he was far from dumb. He was a brilliant theologian. And one day he came upon Pope Innocent III. True story. Now, you got you to you, you know that Thomas Aquinas was not afraid to speak his mind. And he could have a little barb and a little bite in the words that he said. And he came upon the Pope, I mean the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, very corrupt at that time, by the way. And Pope Innocent III said, oh, come in, theologian, come in. Look at all this money. He was counting his gold, literally counting the money from the indulgences that they sold. And he said, Thomas, the church can no longer say silver and gold I do not have. He thought that was pretty funny. Thomas Aquinas then said, and sir, neither can the church say, arise and walk. If you gave me a choice, all the gold, all the silver, all the money in the world, or to know Jesus Christ and to be able to help people, that is an easy choice. I choose the latter every single time. And so here they are in this, in this moment of, of healing, this, this supernatural moment where this man, his life is about to be forever changed. It's very important that when Peter said, it's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that whenever he appealed to the name, he is appealing to the person, the power, the authority, and the character of Jesus Christ. Now, if you haven't heard anything else I've said, this, that's the most important thing that I'm going to share with you today. Whenever Peter said, it's in the name of Jesus, not a dead prophet, priest, Messiah who, who lived his life and now his body is in the tomb. No, not at all. It's in the name of this resurrected, reigning Christ. His name, his character, his person, his power, his authority. It's in his name that I tell you, sir, arise and walk. And that man, he stood to his feet and that majestic, miraculous moment, his, his ankle bones, his knees, his femurs, his calves, all of his body and his lower body mended and healed, and God did a supernatural work. Verse 7, we see the divine miracle. God healed this man's feet, his ankle bones. He's, <laughs> man, he's about to jump up and down. I mean, he's, he doesn't care. He's not going to be inhibited. He, he can walk now. He said, but whoa, 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 time out. Do you really believe that? I mean, come on now, that doesn't happen. Well, it did happen. And it still does happen on, on occasions. God suspends the natural order and He supernaturally heals people. But let me tell you an even greater miracle. Whenever a person recognizes that they need God, and they say, God, I, I know I can't make this life on my own, and God, I trust you to help me to be my Savior. Oh, let me tell you. That is a supernatural moment. That is a miracle. So Andy has Paul in his house. He says, I want you to go to church with him. He says, I'm not going to no church. He says, I made a pact. I made a deal with God. I'm not going to your house. You don't mess with my house. And Andy said, no, said Paul, that's, that's so lopsided. God would never agree to such a deal. Why don't you come? 
He said, I can't come to your church. I walk into the church dressed like this. People are going to judge me. I know you church people. You bunch of hypocrites. Oh, here it comes. It's on, man, it's on. You bunch of hypocrites. And I were to walk into your church, y'all would begin to judge me. And, and, and Andy just kind of smiled. He said, no, you don't, you don't know us. You don't know our church. Why don't you give it a try? Unbeknownst to them, there's a lady in the church who has cancer. She has gone through excruciating rounds of chemotherapy. She has lost her hair. And she wants to go to church so bad, and she, she doesn't want to go bald, and she doesn't want to go get a wig. So she said, I think I'll go get a do-rag. And word got out in the church that this lady who is suffering from cancer and chemotherapy, she's actually going to make it to church today. Hey, why don't a bunch of us just go get us a, a, a bandana? Why don't we, a bunch of us just go get a do-rag and let's wear it. And when she steps onto the campus of the church, we'll just love on her and just show her she's not alone. Y'all with me? The one Sunday that homeless man, Paul, decides to go to, it just so happens that when they drive up in the car, he gets out the door and Paul looks over on the parking lot and all these people have do-rags on their head. And he whips around and he looks at Andy, he goes, you did this. You, you, you set me up. And he said, no, no, no. He said, I didn't have anything to do with this. Do you see? Do you see what God is doing? He's coming for your heart. Would you accept him today? And you know what? That's exactly what the homeless man did. He prayed and he gave his life to Christ. To me, that is a miracle. That's, that, that story is saturated with one miracle after another. And that's just how... God works. On the way to church today, Peter and John might say, we met, a, we met a guy. He was crippled from birth, and Jesus Christ supernaturally healed him, and he would not shut up. He could not be silent. And that's what we read in verse 8. It's so splendid. He leaps to his feet. He stands for a moment. And then Verse 8, all these present tense par participles, he's leaping, he's walking, he's praising God with, with the, the spirit of just animated and enthusiasm. And, and I thought this was very interesting. Terry, our worship pastor, I almost, I almost texted you this. I, I get so excited when I'm studying the Bible sometimes. And, and the Greek word in Acts 2.47 where it says praising God and having favor with all the people, that's the same Greek word that is used in this text in Acts chapter 3 when it says that man who was healed was walking, leaping, and praising God. Now, what do you think that looked like? Do you think it was a, oh, yawn, oh, here we are again, humdrum, you know, let's sing and let's go through the, let's go through church. Like, no, man, I believe that guy was loud. I believe he was large and in charge. I believe he was loud and proud. I believe he was like, I don't care who hears me. Man, I'm telling you, I, used, I couldn't even walk. And I met these two guys and in that name, what was his name again? Jesus, Jesus hallelujah, Jesus, he, he healed me and I'm not going to shut up. Well, that's, isn't that sweet? And I, that's, I want to be like that guy. I want to tell everybody. I want to say, man, look what God did to me as a 19-year-old, confused, broken sophomore in college. And God did something in my life. God saved my life. And I'm forever, I'm forever grateful to Him. 
One writer describing the scene says this way, ordinary walking just seemed too humdrum a means of progress. His exultation must find more vigorous expression, so he leaps. He leaps in the air and he bounds along, discovering all that his new limbs were capable of doing. He accompanied the two apostles into the inner precincts. Nor was it with his limbs alone that he rejoiced in God's goodness to him. You see, the temple courts echoed his shouts of joyful praise, end of quote. This text reminds me of an Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 35, 6. Then the lame shall leap like a deer. Wow. And the tongue of the dumb will sing. For the waters will burst forth in the wilderness, and there will be streams in the desert. And all those messianic prophecies and promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ the Messiah. And God the Father authenticates, validates, vindicates the life of Jesus Christ through these supernatural miracles. And the, the greatest miracle of all was Jesus Christ arose from the dead. And I was listening to one guy this week, and he said, if he rose, no, really, if he really did rise from the dead, everything he said was true. <laughs> everything he did was of God because people just don't get out of the tomb. But if he rose, if he really bodily, viscerally rose from the dead, then Jesus Christ is who he says he is. The Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah. We praise the Lord. Verse 9 says, and the people saw him and they heard him <laughs> unhindered in his walking and praising the Lord for the miracle that he just experienced. And finally, and the people were amazed. Wow. They were amazed, astonished. Verse 10 says, they knew it was him who sat bagging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. They, they, they knew it was him and they were all filled with wonder and ecstasis, with amazement at what had happened to him. Happened is an interesting verb in the Greek New Testament. It's in the perfect tense. Whenever you see those kind of verbs, it always re refers back to a point in time in the past, but it has present day ramifications or repercussions. In other words, he was healed, which is wonderful, but that wasn't the end. You see, he, he wouldn't shut up. He's just like, boo, boo, he's bouncing off the walls. He's shouting praise to God. And, and later on, if you, if you track with us through this book of Acts, we're going to pick this back up, this story. And what you'll see is this guy, he is on fire for God. So much so that the Sanhedrin will meet later in Acts chapter 3. They will literally say, we know, we crucified Jesus Christ. And we are the, the ruling political party of all of Jerusalem. They call the Sanhedrin. And in their own words, they said, but a miracle has happened. That's what they said. A miracle has happened. Now, I meant to say this earlier, but let, let me say this now. The miracle of Pentecost with the, the wind and the Holy Spirit coming and the people going out and speaking these languages was preceded it happened before Peter's Pentecostal sermon. So when Peter preaches and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ and are baptized, that miracle served its purpose. Now, here we go. Fast forward, Acts chapter 3. This miracle 
which was not done in a corner, was not hidden. It was at a very conspicuous, obvious place, beautiful gate where people traversed day, day in, day out. And Jesus Christ did this amazing miracle. And now Peter's about to preach at Solomon's portico at his porch. And this time 5,000 people get saved. You see, God does the lesser miracles to prepare the way for the greater miracle, which is the salvation of a soul. Laura Say, she was 30 years of age. She lived in Humble, Texas. Is that how you say it? Okay. Humble. That's hard for a country boy from Alabama. I want to say humble. You know, it's got an H in front of it. Let's pronounce it like it should. Anyhow, Humble, Texas. She's 30. She has a son, Keegan. He's eight. Now, now, Laura, she's a firefighter, and she's a paramedic, and she's, she's a tough, tough mom, tough single mom. I can just picture her in my mind's eye and saying, that, that lady, she is a, she's a strong lady. Not only strong physically, but she was very cold and calloused on the inside. And I'm going to share her own words, and I'm quoting her, Laura Say, S-E-A-Y, She said this word, I was a very strong-headed, proud woman who refused, who refused to believe or to accept that I needed a relationship with Christ. She didn't believe that. I didn't think I needed that. I'm a self-sufficient woman. I have my own career. I'm doing just fine. I don't need your God. I don't need your religion. Leave me alone until Keegan, eight years of age. Oh my word, this kid... He's so sensitive to spiritual things. He loves Jesus. By the way, I've yet to meet a child who had not been influenced by an adult who did not automatically love Jesus. They just love him. They just, they'd read about him in the New Testament, and that guy's awesome. So Keegan, he would tell his mom, he'd say, Mom, God loves you, and I'm going to pray for you, and Mom, I do pray for you. And one day, she literally heard Keegan pray these prayers out loud, God just let her see. (laughs) Just let her see, Jesus, what I see. Back to her own words, she said, I would argue that a God, any God, a God would not let the things happen that I see happen every day. I come upon these scenes and all this blood and gore and death and no, there is no God because if a God really existed, he would not let these things happen. And Keegan just kept on praying for his mom. Laura had a sister, and it's funny the way God just weaves a web around people, you know, and He just kind of orchestrates events around people's lives. And so Laura's sister told her one day, she said, you you know I love you, and if something were to happen to you and you were to die and go into eternity, then Keegan, his heart would be broken because he knows he'd never see you again. And so Laura said, when my sister told me that, I'm telling you, it it did something to me. Somebody invited them to a Christian concert. So they went to a concert, true story. They're outdoors. And the person's up there singing, probably something like for King and Country Friday night. But this time it was outside like Spirit Fest, you know, out here in in the fall. Guy's up there singing and then uh, he, 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 they're worshiping God and then he, He presents the gospel. He begins to tell all the people that are there, and there's Keegan, and there's Laura, and Laura's kind of like, y'all with me? Can y'all see her? 
She's just not having much of it. But can you see Keegan? Ooh, praise the Lord, man, this is awesome. And Laura's probably going, oh, my son, my son. And then the musician said, is anybody here? Would you like to receive Christ? And Keegan said, Ma, Ma, look. I'm serious, look up. And they looked up. And in Laura Say's own words, she said, oh, my word. I looked up, and in the clouds was the letter I, a heart, and a crooked U. And she said, her heart just melted. And I could read it to you, but let me just summarize it this way. This is what she said. Had you told me that there was a God who really loved me, He loved me so much that he would write it in the sky. Let me tell you what I would do. I'd probably lay hands on you, and then I would throw you into my ambulance and take you to the psychiatric ward. That's what I would do for you. But now in my own eyes and with my own heart, I look up with my son imploring me, begging me, Mom, look, look to Jesus. He loves you. Receive him. And she looks into the sky. I love you. Well, Laura gave up, right? She said, dear God, Forgive me and come into my heart and she was saved. You see, that's a miracle. And God wants to repeat that miracle every person born in this world. And, and I know we come with our, our laundry, we come with our hangups and our, our addictions, and we, came up, we come up with our philosophical, theological, ideological issues, and, and we're just like, man, I, I don't know about all this, all this supernatural, about Jesus, oh, man, well, you know, I'm okay with him being born in a manger and let him stay there, but man, him growing up and living and dying, come on, and rising from the dead, man, this is just, this is just too much for me, I, it's just too much, it's overwhelming to me, and I would tell you at this moment, just stop. Just stop and just just breathe and just say, could it be that the God who created this universe, who created you in his image, who knows everything about you, is speaking to you today saying, I love you. Receive me as your Savior. Oh, I pray that you do it today. I pray that you do it today. I'd ask you to bow your heads with me. We'll close in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to thank you again for coming. What a blessing it is to have you come. Just to prepare you, what we do at at Great Hills Baptist Church and our faith tradition, we have what we call an invitation. We don't want this to spook you or anything, but what we do is we're going to stand and sing another song. And you may see people, you may not, but there may be some people who will literally come forward, kneel at this altar or talk to a counselor, and that's cool, okay? That's okay. In fact, that's why we call it the invitation because we're inviting people to do that. You may be here today and you would say, well, thank you for the invitation. I'm not a crippled man or woman uh, physically, but I do know emotionally and spiritually things are not right. Would you pray for me? Oh, friend, I'd be honored to pray for you. In fact, I want to do more than that. I'd like to pray with you. Also in our faith tradition, we have something called the sinner's prayer. It's when a sinner prays and receives Christ as his or her Lord and Savior. It's not some magical wand or potion, but it is a very powerful confession that you make unashamedly that you want to receive Christ like homeless Paul did, like firefighter 
Laura did, like the crippled man in Acts 3 did, like this person speaking to you right now on this stage did, and hundreds and hundreds of others sitting beside you in this room today have done, and we would like to invite you to join us, would you? With their heads bowed and everybody's eyes are closed, I'm just going to pray a prayer of confession to God, and I'm going to invite you to pray with me. You say, well, what, is, what does that look like? Well, you just pray quietly, silently. I'll pray out loud, and if this is the desire of your heart, if you want to believe and really trust in Christ and, and really say, God, I don't understand everything, and there's a lot of things that I'm just I'm bewildered by, but I just, I just want to say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Just take me as I am. You can pray a prayer that goes something like this. Dear God in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for letting me come today. Lord, there's a lot I don't know. And Lord, there's a lot I question. But this I do know, that you love me. And that Jesus, you died for me. And you arose from the dead, and I believe. I just believe. Take my sin, take all my hurt, and I give you my life today. Thank you, God, for saving me. And with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer with me and you meant it, then I just want to be the very first person to say, Welcome to the family of God. We rejoice with you. Like Daryl was baptized today, he, two weeks ago, he prayed that same prayer that I just prayed out loud. He prayed it in his heart. He told me about it right after the service. And man, we're seeing God do amazing things in his life. I'm thinking about Logan and Alyssa, seeing them pray and receive Christ and baptized and Man, they are just serving the Lord here, and, and, and God is just moving in their lives. Listen, that can be your story, too. This may not be where you land. This may not be the church that you attend. But hey, the most important thing is we want to see you in heaven. <laughs> and there is a way. There is a way. And that's through this resurrected Christ. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the people that came today. And I pray that you would bless them, encourage them. May they remember, Lord, they are not alone, that, God, you created them, you love them, and we love them. And I pray for strength for those that prayed with me. Lord, I believe many, I really believe, Lord, many people in this room prayed that prayer. And I pray, God, that you would seal it, that you would just give them confidence and boldness, and they would share that with somebody. Lord, before this day ends, they would send a text, or they would make a phone call, or they would tell their friend, hey, I received the Lord today. And and I'm ready to walk with him. So thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.